0: your father. This is a Brandon Colby Jacobs from Facebook Exclusive. And you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. Touche, my nigga, touche
1: Yo, what it, do what it is, man. It's your boy, Brandon Kobe Jacobs, and you are listening to The Established 1984 Podcast. And uh, on this episode, man, I mean, I think a lot of people probably are surprised by this particular episode if they're on Facebook Live right now, because they probably are like, man, this ain't the this ain't the rap podcast. What's going on, man? Like, uh, As I said before, which oddly enough, we find this is the first time we had an opportunity to do something a little bit different. Um This isn't a podcast that's dedicated to Jacksonville hip hop and artists and things like that. It's it's a variety of topics. We want to talk to, as I said before, influencers, people who uh, who are progressing in a given field. And that field could be anything, Um, you know, whether that's music, because that's kind of, you know, where my core audience is from or whether that's, you know, uh, the medical field, whether that's law, whatever the case might be. We um uh, we want to kind of give a platform uh to people, especially uh especially young minorities who are progressing in professional fields that could be a valuable asset to their community. And I, I have a young lady on the podcast here today. Um, she uh graduated from uh, Florida State University. Uh, you know we all make mistakes and don't go to the University of Florida, but that's cool. Um, <laughs> she uh she uh, pursued uh, psychology. She is currently. Uh, working on her, uh, well, she currently has her master's in clinical mental health counseling. Um, she's in the process of getting licensing in the state of Florida, which she made sure to tell me that that takes two thousand hours prior to taking the exam. So, uh, for those of you who don't know her, I have a. Uh, let's make sure we pronounce it correct. Tamra. Tamra. Tamara, yep. Tamra <laughs> McKenzie on the line. Tamra, how are you, ma'am? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Good. 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 Um, I Like I said, um, this is pretty, uh, a pretty free-flowing uh, conversation, so I want you to feel completely comfortable about talking talking however you want to. Feel free to interrupt me, because Lord knows everybody has called me notorious for interrupting them. So, um, obviously, first thing I like to do with, uh, with everybody that I interview is kind of get a sense of where you're from. So can you talk a little bit about your background, where you're from, what side? If you're from Jacksonville, what side you rep, all that kind of stuff.
0: Well, um, I grew up for the most part here in Jacksonville on the west side. My parents aren't from Florida, but my dad was in the military. This was his last stop before retirement, so we basically stayed here. Um, Even though I grew up on the west side, I was one of the magnet students. I went to Darnell Cookman School for the Advanced Studies before they switched over to that high, middle school, high school, whatever they have going on now. And then I graduated from Stanton College Prep.
1: Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes uh, I think we were talking on the phone I, got, I have several friends that that went to, to stand, it's so funny that we graduated around the same time, or right in the same year You're year 2002, right? uh mm-hmm. Yeah, 2002, and, and we never crossed paths Lord knows I was constantly up there getting in trouble um, I got hit over the head by uh, your female security guard uh, She hit me with her nightstick <laughs> as I was trying to run off campus. Shout out to my homeboy uh Deuce Pickford. He and I both got picked up for trespassing on campus there many, many years ago. <laughs>
0: because we had the late let out. Our school started later. Right. So the other high school could come to our high school when we were when we were getting out. So yeah.
1: understood. Nah, we was we was posting up at like Noon, like <laughs> we was in the cafeteria walking walkin around, no shirts, okay. yeah, you know, the white beaters, the white beaters, tattoos showing flags on it the whole night we was we was on some whole other shit, so <laughs> so, Obviously, you're a, mil- a military kid, so um, what what kind of, what is it like kind of growing up in that environment, b- kind of bouncing around a little bit? This, as you said, Jacksonville was your dad's last stop. What was it like growing up in that atmosphere, and how do you feel like that may have kind of shaped your personality?
0: Well, for me, I was kind of the late child. I say I wasn't surprised because my dad, my parents already had a boy born- and a girl, so I was born a little bit later, like I only lived in two different places. Right. But it I think it impacted both of my parents because my dad, the time he spent overseas and deployment and the culture that he absorbed, and my mom living coming from a, the country, a rural area outside of Augusta, Georgia, where she didn't even know that you could go into a store and buy groceries until she was 16 because they lived off the land. I'm talking that rule. Yeah. Um, you know, into going to a military base where you're surrounded by people from all over. So my mom, she wanted to make sure that she instilled culture in all her children and that we were well-rounded. So even though I didn't get to live overseas, like when my dad was deployed or, you know, in, on the West Coast or anything like that, that culture that my mom was was... was able to take in she made sure that she instilled that
1: in all of her children right it's so funny that you said that about your mom and kind of like how she grew up in a rural environment the funny thing is is my my mom is the exact same way my mother was born in Gainesville uh Gainesville Florida um her uh to parents that were farmers you know uh sharecroppers if you will you know um Mm -hmm. you know my uh my grandfather uh i don't even know what tongue oil is but my mother said that you know <laughs> you farm tongue oil and, and tobacco and so that that's kind of where she grew up they didn't have um they didn't have uh electricity until she was 13 years old they didn't have a tv my mother viewed a tv as as this thing that was kind of like a nickelodeon i'm sure some people are like nickelodeon like the t- like the, the television channel no go google it there's a thing called a nickelodeon that used to be in Shops and stuff, way, way, way back, back in the day, back in time. But you know, th- I mean, that was that was kind of like her lifestyle too. So yeah, I can totally relate to hearing those stories from from my mom. So you graduate from Stan, you decide to go. You know, like I said, if everybody makes mistakes and doesn't go to the University of Florida. It's cool, but um <laughs> you, you decide to go to Florida State University. Tell me what what goes into making that dis- that decision for you. What made you decide that that's where you wanted to go
0: well actually there's a slight plot twist there
1: okay i went to
0: ucf first
1: okay got to to ucf
0: because i didn't want to be in a college town i wanted to be in a real city and i love the allure the campus ucf it was beautiful um and i got there but a lot of my friends went to danu um a few FSU, mostly BAMU. So, what did that lead to? It led to weekend road trips. Right. And there was just something different about the atmosphere of a college town, and I fell in love with it. Right. So, I transferred. Okay. But... When I got to Florida State, it was kind of like, okay, i spent two years at another university, whereas most people have been, my age have been getting acclimated to the city and the, um, or town, because Tallahassee isn't really a city, um, <laughs> and campus and making friends and joining organizations. Like, I'm brand new to this. And it actually caused me a lot of anxiety, and that was the first time I personally ended up in therapy interestingly enough because (laughs) i just had like really i I got really bad social anxiety i don't know where it came from because UCF is not a small place i think their goal is to be um the largest university by 2020 and i think they've already achieved that so it's not like i went to i'm not trying to be petty it's not like i went to like bcc or bcu or something like that (laughs)
1: that shade you set that shade up nicely man that that sounds like some shit I do me and my dad throwing shade at Bethune go ahead but yeah yeah, so that was that was actually but I I love the feeling of Tallahassee and um I actually when I
0: was at U. Yes, I was a pre-law major because the, the end goal was to go to law school um, then I left there and said okay well I'm just going to do Florida State criminology program and do psychology because I'm interested in both of those things and you really don't have to have a specific major when you're gearing up to go to law school. Right. So that all that all that played a part in making my transition
1: to Florida State. Okay, yeah. Shout out to shout out to Tallahassee again. This is another example of, of us kind of just kind of floating around each other, knowing a lot of the same people, <laughs> being in the same places. Cause shout out to Landmark Apartments on Jackson Bluff Road. Shout out to Paddyfoot <laughs> Mcguinn.
0: Wait, I lived on Jackson
1: Bluff. <laughs> I was in Seminole Suites. Seminole Suites. Shout out to Seminole Suites, man. <laughs> right down there by TCC. All you got to do is go right down the street, bust a right and the schools on the left. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know all about it. Not that far from the stadium either, where they just go crazy. Mm-mm. Right there by the Shell gas station, right before you t- <laughs> <laughs> Right there. Right if there. We came to work, we could walk to the stadium on Absolutely. game day. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, what's the process uh what's the process from uh you know kind of moving into the psychology field deciding that this is something that you want to pursue and and getting into the field professionally can you kind of walk me through that
0: well um to progress towards being a mental health therapist or clinician or even a um licensed clinical social worker which they're kind of all the same thing there's some just some slight differences um you do have to go to grad school so there isn't anything specific that you really needed to have majored in in undergrad but of course it's going to be more helpful if you've done psychology or um sociology or something of that nature um so then you progress into grad school and you know it seems like it's all fun and games until they tell you that you need to intern all these hours to get that real experience under your belt. And this is, I'm assuming, is the intern with no money deal. Day. This is the,
1: this is the, this is the non-paid internship. <laughs> I'm guessing
0: non-paid so Gotta if
1: love those. this is something as a grown person you're interested in doing you know
0: please be aware that you need to intern a thousand hours in the state of Florida prior to being granted your degree and then another two thousand hours afterwards prior to being able to sit for the licensing exam. Florida and California are the two hardest states to get licensed in in the state of in, in the United States, but the good news is is if you were to move somewhere else after becoming licensed here, they'll more than likely take take your your license versus making you go through all these additional steps. So that is the one upside. So like I said, you have to, of course, go to grad school, and you're going to take, you know, courses that stretch you, um, that test you as far as ethics are concerned, that try to make you more socially aware, or that teach you the dynamics of group therapy and family therapy. Because what where my program is unique is it, it was clinical mental health counseling, so it's not like I'm gearing up to be just a marriage and family therapist or just a... Um, they have programs for guidance, guidance counseling as well. Right. Mine kind
1: of encompasses everything. Okay, it's 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 so crazy because I I think a lot of people. It's funny that we're we're having this conversation today, and I think that it's valuable that we do have this conversation today, and we're gonna go through. A little bit of my background and, and 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 all of that kind of stuff but the reason why i thought that it was important and the reason why i wanted to get you on the podcast today is because and at the core of this podcast we we kind of want to talk a little bit about uh you know mental health in the black community it's something that I, for whatever reason uh, we tend to shy away from discussing we view it as a you know suck it up and move on kind of deal and that's something that i kind of went through personally um, you know many years ago now it's uh it was June 27th of 2010 um, I was going through a, I don't know if you want to call it a breakup but but you know how relationships can be where you know you guys are quote-unquote broken up but you're not really broken up but one person thinks you're a little bit more broke up than you actually are and all this kind of stuff and for the sake of this podcast, we'll we'll refer to the young lady in the same way that we do in the book, The Diary of a Madman, Man, The Life of Times of Brandon, Kobe Jacobs, available on Amazon if you want to go check that out. But, um, <laughs> um, um, you know, Delilah and I were going through some uh, through some difficult times. And, you know, I don't I don't particularly blame her um, for what transpired as far as my downward spiral. What I can say is that I had never till that to that point invested that much emotionally into another human being um you know i was i was very passionate about her and um and because of that when she decided to pull away um mentally and emotionally i was not equipped to deal with uh with her pulling away and in turn you know i guess i'm kind of lucky from the standpoint of i have educated parents who you know, saw that something wasn't quite right. I mean, granted, I wasn't in the process at that point of really fixing everything because I was still doing a shit ton of drugs. Um, you know, I, I was I've been notorious for self-medicating since I was about 12 years old between alcohol and a variety of other substances. Um, and, uh, you know, there was just a situation that transpired. So uh, on that fateful day in June, I uh, i just completely lost it. Um, you know, I don't even remember what was the the primary cause of it that particular day But what I do know is that I, I was already seeing A uh, a therapist And I decided to Because of whatever it was that happened that day Um, I hopped in my car Um, I took like a fifth of vodka Um, I took some gin straight to the head Grabbed some Percocets Um, took some ecstasy, smoked some weed Um, and, and a couple of other things Like LSD and whatnot, And I just got in the car and I started driving I drove down A1A Um, you know, and I had a loaded handgun in the car with me, so I'm doing like hundred miles an hour with a loaded handgun in the passenger seat. And you know, as people honk their horns and shit like that, I'm, you know, cocking the gun and pointing it out the window and I'm just completely out of my fucking mind. And um I decided to call the I decided to call the therapist and she answered. And uh I'm on A one A and she's talking to me and and I don't know, have you ever been on A one A before? Down there but at the beach? Yes. Okay, so yes. The A1A can take you, for those of you who are from Jacksonville A1A can take you all the way down to St. Augustine But you go through a residential area That's right off the beach I don't know if you've been down there before But like, most cell phone service doesn't work down there So, I'm on the phone with her And I'm completely out of my mind And she's trying to keep me on the phone and get me to pull over And all this kind of stuff And the worst thing that could possibly happen, happened I lost service So now I feel like this woman is giving up on me <laughs> <laughs> So I'm completely high out of my mind. I think that this woman is giving up on me. So so I've just decided, you know what? Time to clock out. Brandon doesn't want to be here anymore. Um, Golly, um, I make it to to St. Augustine in this little hole-in-the-wall motel, um, and I ask for a hotel room only problem is is in the midst of all of these drugs that i have sitting in my car and these half empty bottles of gin and this grain alcohol and these these L- this lsd and these percocets and all of this other stuff i forgot one key thing my goddamn wallet so <laughs> so i'm down here with no money <laughs> so apparently, and this is where things start to get foggy, and I can trace it back from the police reports, and I can trace it back from talking to my best friend, who I call my brother, Wayne Hill, Titus Hill. matter of fact, he went to Stanton with you. Um, Okay. Michelle Tolston is his wife. She went to Stanton, too. But, um, I'm, um... I'm sitting here. I decided to call him, for whatever reason, thinking that he could get me a room. So I go to another motel down the street. And, um... (laughs) And start asking for a room, and apparently I stumbled, fell, hit my head on the cement. And I i don't know, like, when I look back on it, or, and I kind of recollect, I, it felt like it was just, you know, a few seconds. Apparently, according to the video that, that, that caught me, I had cracked my head on the sidewalk, and I was down there for about 20 minutes. So I get up, and I finally walk inside, and my head's bleeding and all this other kind of stuff. And I walk inside and apparently I ask the lady At the front desk for a room I got my brother Wayne on the phone Yada 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 can you please give me a room I hand her the phone she clearly Knows I'm out of my fucking mind And um And she's afraid to give me a room Because you know obviously For obvious reasons she's looking at this person who clearly Is not in his right mind And it's like I don't feel comfortable doing this So she um she decides, uh, that she's going to try to give me a room, you know, cause Wayne's on the phone and he's like, Hey, if you just give him a room, I'll pay for it over the phone and I'll come get him. I just need him to get centralized in one spot, yada, yada, yada. Um, so she starts filling out the paperwork and doing everything that she needs to do to try to give me a room. Only problem is I never make it to the room. I never make it to the room because, um, I, uh, I collapse into a glass table, blood's everywhere. Um you know, apparently my heartbeat uh, thins out and, uh, you know, uh, I, I always use the phrase I died in the hotel lobby because essentially there was no heartbeat. Uh, had to be hit with the defibrillator three times. Um, finally when the EMT showed up, um, they finally woke me up (laughs) when they woke me up, I'm in the back of the EMT vehicle and, um, they gave me some sort of sedative and, um, and put me to sleep, and then the next thing I remember, I remember being in Flagler County Hospital, and uh, I've got this nurse standing over me asking me, "Am I okay?" and all this kind of stuff. And she was like, um, "Well, we're going to have to put a tube down your throat." You know, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't really get a chance to respond. I'm, I'm sure I probably, you know, mumbled off something, but I, um, I decide I end up having to get this tube down my throat. And then the most uncomfortable thing that I think I've probably ever experienced in my 33 years of life, um, they put a, what is it called? What is the uh, catheter? Is that what it's called? Sounds
0: accurate.
1: Okay, will go with that. They, they stick a <laughs> catheter in, you know my manhood (laughs) and the lady told me that it was going to be just a small pinch and it was way more than a pinch (laughs) so um, they used um, they put for the tube that they put down my throat they uh, filled my stomach with a they call it charcoal Like It looks, it looks like charcoal but it, I guess it absorbs toxins And then they The catheter that they put in They're using that to kind of basically drain my bladder Of basically everything that's inside there They're trying to keep me alive So um, You know I black out and go to sleep And when I wake up I am handcuffed to a bed In the psych ward of Flagler County Hospital I have been what's that called
0: baker act
1: <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about what baker acting is well, a Baker Act occurs when a person
0: is either um, posing harm to themselves or to others. Um, that, that's the name in the state of Florida. Other states have other names for it. But it's basically a 72-hour period in which you are going to have to spend time in a, on a crisis stabilization unit. Um, at that time, the psychiatrist and the therapists that are on staff, they will, you know, visit you get you medication speak with you conduct sessions and decide okay do we need to keep this person and if we're going to release them what types of treatment are we going to recommend for them going forward
1: right now now give me your your opinion as it relates to not just my suicide attempt but suicide attempts in general feel free to give any feedback to what i just disclosed to you i mean do what do you think in a situation like that like how do how does one how does one avoid i guess being in a situation like the situation i was in and kind of what's your point of view on, on suicide in general do you feel like it's something that uh when someone makes a, a attempts to to take their own life that it's something where they're intentionally attempting to take their own life or do you feel like it's a cry for help do you feel like those people are weak because Obviously, in the black community, a lot of times the uh, suicide is looked at it as as something that's okay. weak.
0: Well, there's two different scenarios. Um, there are scenarios where it is a cry for help where the person does not necessarily want to die. They're going through just a flight of ideas and emotion, and they don't know how to process them, and their way of coping at that time is taking, um, taking it out physically upon themselves. Right. Now, there are other situations where whether it's um, – like how you said, you've, you've taken all kinds of drugs, you're drinking, and you get yourself into a place where your mind is so foggy that you're willing to take that extra step. And this just, you know, I even, I can't remember if it was a year or two ago, I remember um, News for Jacks reporting this, I didn't know him, but there were people on my my Facebook um Timeline that knew the young man. I don't know what he was going through, but my heart just kind of dropped because they found, I think, like a fifth of Hennessy or something in the car with him, and he had shot himself. Mm -hmm. You know. So me being the therapist is like, what happened to the what escalated things to this point, but. I used this as an example with one of my kids last week, and I don't know where these analogies come from, They just kind of popped in my head. And I told her that when you suppress emotions or you don't deal with things, it's like shaking up a soda bottle. It's like just shaking it up and shaking it up and shaking it up, and then you open it and everything explodes. And you have no idea what could potentially happen. If you do not have the appropriate support systems and coping skills to deal with
1: what's going to occur once that happens right and it, it's so funny that you say that because i mean up until that point in my life i i, I think that most of my peers would have viewed me to be a, a, a successful person i was a club promoter I, I you know i was working for uh i was working for plush at the time um doing very well generating revenue for myself i was working for state farm as a claims adjuster at the time so other than the situation that was transpiring with delilah um there there was nothing about my life that was you know completely wrong. I did a lot of drugs, but i i didn 't view you know how some people call themselves functioning uh alcoholics i mm-hmm. I, I was a functioning addict i mean um I, I tell I tell the stories all the time when we you know I get around the boys from yeah. from the old promotion days. And you know everybody talks about you. Brandon drank like a fish. You know, like Tuesdays, at, Tuesday late night library. Wednesday the moon. Thursday Bajas, Friday Chubby. Saturday back at the moon. Sunday Mount Zion. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, and and I drank at all of them. And I drank in the New Blood Entertainment meetings on Mondays. Like, you know, I was I was so drunk all the time that. I would get up for class in the morning and I'd have to take a screwdriver just so that for those of you who don't know what a screwdriver is, orange juice and gin or vodka, whichever one you want to use. And you're just hammering that down just so that, you know, your stomach is subsides. You're basically like the hangover is constant all the time so that it so that your body can at least feel normal. Because usually what it's trying to do, a hangover is saying, okay, we're trying to remove the rest of the alcohol out of your body so that we can get you back to a normal state. Well, that takes time, so screw that. I'd rather just put a little bit more alcohol in my body and keep it mm-hmm. moving. You know, I don't know. Is, but, is functioning alcoholic like a, a real thing? Do you think that that's a way where somebody can actually function, or is that not not okay or normal? Absolutely, and the, the question that I would kind
0: of hassle you is, um, you said at that particular time that you had the suicide attempt that there wasn't really anything else going wrong. It was just this one particular situation with your relationship that was your tipping point. But the thing is, is when we, and I'm also posing this as a question to you, okay. when you decide to self-medicate, whether it be you know drugs or alcohol, And prescription medication, which we'll get into that, I'm sure, Mm -hmm. it has a numbing effect. So when things kind of happen to you, you don't really feel because you get so used to just kind of having this numbing effect where you can just continue with your buzz, you know, continue with your high. You don't really deviate too much in emotion because you're consistently
1: in a sedated state. Right. So, when something comes along that's out of your norm, what do you do? Mm-hmm.
0: You know, okay, this, this relationship has gone south or my money is messed up because I lost my job or this opportunity or whatever, then you heighten that use
1: mm-hmm.
0: because before you were the functioning alcoholic, but now something is really wrong, so you're going to heighten that use, which... Clearly, you see how in your situation, it led to a suicide attempt. I don't know if that particular day that you, I mean, you said you had a gun. I don't know if you seriously wanted to take your life in that moment, but I'm pretty sure that you, it's just like, I want to feel number and number and number and number, and I'm going to continue to put these things into my body until all these ideas circulating in my head just stop.
1: Right. I just, I I know for me personally, um, that, that particular day, I just, and for a long time, even, even after that, it was something that I struggled with for uh, a long time after that. I just wanted her back. I wanted, you know, I wanted it to be normal because, you know, I, I, um, up until that point, I don't think that I had ever met someone who, um, who could, who could just make me smile you know like you know that corny shit about like you know you just smile at the thought of somebody kind of kind of deal like you know you're just going through your day and then you just you know you got a stupid smirk on your face like what's wrong with you like you are all thinking about you know like i i was i literally was like that about her and you know we got into i know specifically that we got into an altercation in the club um where I I said something while I was under the influence that probably was out of turn for her. She was still very young at the time too Um, and I think she took it way more personal than I think I did and for her the relationship had ended there and for me I wasn't completely ready for that and then you also got those same issues where you know how people be like the relationship is over but I'm still be at your house I'm still fuck you and all this kind of stuff like you know like so so it, it's like it's over but it's not really over but she's starting to deviate and do these other things but it's like you're not being you're not cutting it off right at the right at the shoulder blade as I like to say you know you're, you're kind of dragging it on and maybe I would have felt differently if, if she had just immediately cut it off and maybe I wouldn't I guess we'll never know um but to, but to that end, I I I just you're right. I just kind of wanted it. I kind of wanted to to not feel. I didn't want to miss her. You know what I'm saying? And I think that I guess maybe that's that's some of what other people go through when they feel that way. I I, I don't know. Like you know, I don't know too many other people who have kind of gone through these kind of scenarios. But um, you know, obviously without giving any specific names, is that something? Is that normal?
0: As far as when it comes to just a suicide attempt in general or yeah, when it right, comes right. To, like, because, because the thing about it is loss is loss. Um, there are some people who compare their divorces to a death. Right. You still go through the seven stages of grieving as you would, you know, when you actually lose a person as, you know, you know whether they're living or, or, or still alive. Um, I think that people people are different by you know biologically the way that their minds um tick there are some things that really really bother one person that just don't seem to even save another person so i think our biological makeup kind of has a a part to play in it as well um but again when you're mixing substances, substances of any form with that. You kind of sort of have a recipe for disaster, you know, you know what I'm saying? But I don't think that it's rare. I think people take their emotions out differently, whereas yours was, okay, I'm going to, you know, drink more, I'm going to do more drugs. Some people become like excessively vindictive, you know, so it manifests in different ways. You know you we all know the story of that person who they they have their breakup and they just want to make the person's life a living hell Right. Or maybe they start stalking. You know, so it just it but depending upon your personality, it just really, really manifests in different ways. Like, it's just hard to say is, is it typical because people people can go through the exact same thing and react completely different to each one of them. And then some people it, it just they internalize it more. Right. They beat themselves up. But the thing about internalizing it is mental health, what, what's going on mental health-wise, there is a certain level of comorbidity where that anxiety or that stress or that depression can start to feed into physical illness. So then and then we have a whole other element there. You, mm-hmm. know? you have the depression, suicide attempt, but then you have the holding it all in and that tying into maybe you developing some form of illness that would have not existed had you not been more susceptible to illness due to and this is kind of like real like therapy talk but (laughs) um, everyone has like you know serotonin and that's kind of what keeps you happy and when you get sad those serotonin levels drop Mm -hmm. and when the serotonin levels are low that's going to make you more susceptible to certain illnesses
1: right it's so funny that you say that because and I'm definitely going to come back to that but what I do want to talk about a little bit is the other side of this, how other people are impacted and kind of, I guess, more so the 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 general reaction that seems to be typical in our community. So that situation happened with me. Uh, you know, you're finally able to make phone calls, um, you know, while you're in that 72 hour hold to a couple of people, like uh, you know, called mom, call dad, that kind of stuff. I called Delilah. I told her what happened and I was like, look, I really miss you. Can you please just come down here and see me? All this kind of stuff. She says, no, I don't want to do, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want anything to do with that. You know, that all you're doing is just crying for attention, that so on and so forth. And even outside of, of her point of view on that situation, I've noticed that people that I have discussed, you know, suicide with and, and, you know, they're obviously survivors of it, having a conversation with them, there sometimes are those folks who view this as just a cry for help, you being weak, you just wanting attention, that kind of stuff. Can you talk a little bit about how suicide attempts affect the other people that are around you and, you know, the kind of, the varied reactions of, of those around you to something like that.
0: Well, I would actually like to hit on the reaction within minority groups, okay. African Americans. Okay. We, for some reason, um, want to, okay, so it's a cry for attention, you're you're weak. We wanna put all these different labels on it, which is basically putting a Band-Aid or trying to bandage or cover what's up underneath it, which is a mental health issue. For some reason, we want to stay in denial about the mental health issues and think that we can pray it away or go to church or read the Bible and please do not don't let anyone come for me and say well those are things that you should do I'm not saying that those are not things that you should do but what I'm saying is when you get to a point where you really truly, like we were talking about those serotonin levels when those drop and you're in a depressive state where just getting up to take a shower getting out of the bed, getting dressed, talking to people when those Typical day-to-day activities become tasking. It's a little bit deeper than that. We can't just tell someone to cheer up or go to church or you know I'm gonna pray for you. You right. know, it, it goes it goes a little bit a little bit beyond that. Um, sometimes there is something additional that a person may need in seeking professional help. Is not a demonstration of weakness because, in your instance, you actually did. You 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 realize, okay, something doesn't something doesn't feel quite right. So I'm going to go and see a therapist, which I think is highly noble of you because that's the first step that a lot of people never take.
1: Right.
0: Um, and in doing that, um, you know, of course, you still ended. You know, you honestly that's something big for me i don't ever want to get a call from one of my clients that that they're wanting to take their own life or get a call from someone else but it's inevitable that it more than likely will happen throughout the course of my career but anyway back to um just our reaction as a community um it gets swept under the rug a lot like oh my gosh, I don't want to like misquote who it was but I want to say like a lot of the women who have natural hair they've used Miss Jessie's products. I believe mm. it was Miss Jessie if it's not Miss Jessie, I'm sorry, that's who I think it is right. but it was two <laughs> sisters and a few years back they were like, oh, you know she passed away, and they kind of swept it under the rug but she took her life Oh, wow. You know, this is a successful entrepreneur, and there was something, I mean, it, it, the story never came out, but it was essentially implied, and more than likely true, mm-hmm. that she took her own life. Wow. Because they didn't say anything about it, they just made the announcement, you know, unfortunately she's passed away, and that was it. So I think that those, there's a lot of those types of stories where we just don't talk about it. It's a taboo subject. So mental health is a taboo subject. The suicide attempts is a taboo subject. But what are we going to do as a community to come together and not make it that way? How are we going to stop the stigma? Another um, note, something that I think was very noble, is one of my friends on Facebook went live and talked about his dealings with suicide. Right. This is someone that I have admired from afar for years. Right. in reference to their career path their work, their ambition but he as a black male had been battling with depression
1: yeah and black men deal with it a lot and just do not address these things and they just kind of bottle it up and, and and just keep moving on and, and we really as a as a society and especially as black men we gotta stop that. We have to address the same way we work on trying to get our bodies and everybody be like uh getting right for for summer seventeen and all this kind of stuff. Man, you gotta keep your mind right too, you know what I'm saying? For mm-hmm. all year long. <laughs> you know? Mind, body, spirit, wellness is right. all it's all connected
0: and I did a lot of research on that as well as nutrition and emotional wellness. While I was in grad school, you know what we're hearing and what we're putting into our bodies, what we're speaking—all those things are important, not just you know the
1: working out part of it as well. Right. So I, I kind of also outside of all of this kind of stuff, obviously, obviously, I, I I got my life together. I mean, it was a process. I spent most of 2010. In in rehab, um, shout out to Riverpoint. They, they I know some people have said some negative oh, things about Riverpoint. They worked for me, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, so, so shout out to Riverpoint in 2010. They did a they did a lot of great work for me. But the, I, but I kind of want to talk a little bit about medications too, because that's another taboo sublet, subject in the black community. I can tell you firsthand that I was on antidepressants, and a funny thing that you kind of brought up—that like uh, mental, you know, mental breakdowns can subsequently cause physical ailments. I, I after all of this happened, I began to suffer from seizures, and I suffered from from 2010 until 2014 um my last my last seizure was in march of of 2014 i i collapsed at my job and when i woke up my aunt uh i was living in atlanta at at the time my aunt uh you know was sitting right next to me and i couldn't tell you what happened somebody said that i pulled up and i had hit uh hit another car and it was because of the medications that i was on so i kind of want to talk a little bit about medications how those medications can can you know for as much as you know there are there are a variety of different medications some work for some people some don't and they can have long standing uh long standing uh, side effects on people things like that and can you talk a little bit about I guess kind of not so much medication specific like specific ones per se but just us being mindful of of medications and how they impact us and things like that because one thing I will say is that I was always in the doctor's office when I was on all those medications because one of them made my dick not work and that was not cool
0: (laughs) (laughs) which is that happens with antidepressant medications so that is uh, typically a side effect but um, just to one thing that I do want to say just as, as I answer that question and we can touch a little bit on it later, is that education is really important. I think that with there being a stigma attached to it within the African-American community seeking mental health care, I think that it because it's a tablet subject, sometimes there's not a lot, there's an educational point that, mm-hmm. there, that needs to be made, and of course there's Google, you can go look up different things, but one, I think cultural competency is important as an African-American when you're seeking a provider for mental health services. And competency is also going to be important when you're seeking medication management. Um, So if you were to come to see me, for instance, and, you know, you're not getting better, you've been teetering the lines of depression for X amount of time, um, and I make that recommendation to say, okay, I think you should go see a nurse practitioner or a psychiatrist and to get an evaluation and reference to medication, at that particular time, they're gonna take you through a series of questions to determine, you know, what's going on, you know, what are your symptoms and they should provide you with the educational element on what the medications are for and start you off at the lowest dosage and progress from there. Mm-hmm. Um, there should never be a I, I believe in seeking therapy first, then going to a psychiatrist or nurse practitioner Some people skip all that, go to their primary care doctor, say I'm depressed, give them something, and let's just be honest, they get kickbacks for prescribing certain things to people. So it may not necessarily be in your best interest what they're giving you. Right. So, psychiatrist or nurse practitioner, if possible, a nurse practitioner that works up under a psychiatrist is going to be the best bet because they spend a lot of time with you. I was blessed for when I actually had to go on antidepressants which we can talk about that too um, I saw a nurse practitioner right. very very helpful you know it was almost like a mini therapy session she took an hour with me to talk with me about what was going on and because my therapist told me what to tell her tell her to give you 20 milligrams of plexa and 0.5 milligrams of xanax she
1: oh yeah that's xanax <laughs> <laughs>
0: so and I told her, but she still spent the time with me, and you know we made um, some different um, decisions as far as the direction that we were going to go. But definitely, but the medication does have its side effects. Me personally. I didn't care about anything. And that was her worry for me. She's like, you've never been on medication before your body is virgin to this. You know, you're going to get probably a little bit more side effects than someone who's used to taking medication. Brandon, I, I didn't care about anything. I lost my job while I was on antidepressants. Was you like, too? Oh, you oh, too? I lost my
1: job. <laughs> Let me tell you, let me tell you, first of all, I was in rehab the entire time, like the all of 2010 damn near, I was in rehab, like I never went to work, like from like June until till they let me go in December, I like never was at work, like I would try to go to work and it just, you know, that shit was not working out, so... I was on I was on anti seizure medication and I was on antidepressants at the same time, which they probably shouldn't have did, but I guess they looked at me and I was like 190 pounds and I was straight. I was I'd be the first one to tell anybody I was fine back then. I was fine as hell. <laughs> so I think they might have just kind of been like, let's load the big guy up. You know what I'm saying? And one day I tried to go back to work, and I shit you not, I went back to work on that medication. I ended up up under my desk crying
0: <laughs> I'm sorry I don't mean to laugh no, I don't I, want anybody to judge me
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know and that, that that's one of those situations that if that happens to you you need to go see your psychiatrist or your therapist or whoever and, and be like, yo, y'all got to change this dosage.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and ain't serious, right. you need to be, you know, every 30 days because, you know, sometimes people will load you up and give you, like, a 90-day prescription, and you're like, okay, I don't want to pay my copay or my coinsurance or whatever, so, yeah, go ahead. But, you know, those routine checkups are needed because based upon your weight, and how your body reacts to it and different things like i know me for instance at that point in time i had gone up to 60 milligrams which for i'm four
1: mm-hmm. i'm a little thick
0: but that's a lot 60 milligrams is a lot right you know so but i just and then i and another thing is with the medication management you can't just abruptly stop it so if you are on medication and you feel like it's time to wean yourself off of it you do need to seek you know a, a professional and say okay well what do we do me personally i just cut my dosage down me too. like little by little but even with that i got vertigo like i was having side effects as i um I I cut down on my dosage so it's just really important that you that's why me personally I want to educate myself on the medication even though I can't prescribe it I want my clients to know if they're you know practitioner isn't spending that time with them, I want to have, be able to provide that educational element and sit down with them and say, well, hey, you know, well, what is the game plan and, do you know, the side effects and, and, you know, provide psychoeducation, which is a big, which is a big part of therapy, providing psychoeducation so the person is empowered. People think that therapy, you're just supposed to get fixed and that we're supposed to give you advice, no, I'm there to empower you right. to make better decisions. I'm not there to advise you or really tell you what to do. That that's not what therapy
1: is. Right. Now, now from your perspective, I mean, we've talked a lot about about very personal uh, personal uh, examples of, I guess, kind of emotional breakdowns, therapy, uh, medication, and things like that. Now, I guess I just have to ask the blanket question. Why do you think that uh, mental health isn't taken seriously in the black community?
0: Well, for one thing, you want to look at... Imagine someone whose resources are limited. Mm -hmm. For example, where I work. I work on the east side of Jacksonville. Um, There are some schools in Jacksonville that are deemed full service schools so they provide just kind of additional things that that particular community would need be it case management um, and therapy being what I do Um, and there is a lot of poverty in that area Um, there's not a lot of access to care and there's not a lot of even knowledge on, okay, well, what type of person should I even go to for this particular type of issue? Right, right. Um, So that's why, where I said the the kind of psychoeducation comes in, where you're, I work with children, so you're educating both, you know, the the parent on exactly how this process is going to go, and then you're working with the child as well. So I think access to care is going to be one thing. Then, when it comes to what we call in the field a higher functioning individual, Bad and boozy, somebody that's up in the college that knows this and that. I got all
1: these degrees and Me.
0: letters behind my name. Me. <laughs> um, first of all, we just not gonna trust nobody. You know, what are your what are your credentials? Then there's that fear of being judged. You know, are they going to judge me for being here because I'm successful? I've been giving all the tools that should be needed for me to advance my career and advance my life. And still I'm suffering from these emotional shortcomings. Right. So there's kind of that kind of like that. Okay, no, I'm I'm not weak. I don't need this. I'm going to push through it. We as African-Americans normalize suffering. And we need to stop doing
1: that. Is that a byproduct because, of kind of like a slave ideology that kind of has been uh, passed down throughout the generations?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And it's not... It, and it, okay. So it, that, is, that is something that's probably been passed down. And I heard this today. Um, I don't really give examples of clients anymore. Like, the ethical thing to do is to, if you're going to talk about something, don't give any identifying factor. Some some therapists feel like, oh, you shouldn't talk about it at all. I actually received feedback from one of my friends telling me that he didn't think that I was a trustworthy therapist because I said things about therapeutic practice on Facebook, but I never said anything that could identify a person. And then my page is super private. So just... To stop all of that, I typically don't talk about the cases that I deal with, uh, but just as a blanketed example, this is someone who's not my client, the father said, I don't want my child on medication because I had the same issue growing up, and I turned out fine.
1: Right.
0: So we do that. Right. Oh, I went through this growing up too, and I turned out fine no, but you're fine is kind of your way of dealing with things. Right. you fine is not fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the way you you're, realize, you're like, coping. <laughs> Yeah, you're coping, you're not fine yeah. so I think that that's one thing whereas like generationally we think oh well my parents went through this and I went through this, surely my child but this generation is totally different, like earlier in the conversation we both talked about how our parents grew up in a very rural environment and my mom even had the party line where you pick up the phone, somebody else is on the phone and you gotta wait, you know to call the other, I still don't really even understand how that works But the point (laughs) is is now we have um, smart TVs and kids in elementary school have cell phones and there's cyberbullying and there's parents. I mean, for goodness sake, look at Trump. Right. the past couple years like what are they like maseratis and all this stuff The like, like but there's so much pressure there's a different <laughs> type of pressure in society than there you know when there was when our parents were growing
1: up or even when we, we were growing time. up because you think about you think about it's yeah. like like even since we both graduated around the same time i think it's fair to say like when, when we went to prom, you were just happy to have a car, like like, like, like you know, like having a having like a Maserati or something like that wasn't even something that we were, you know, like you didn't even contemplate that. Like I was just happy to have my 1995 Pontiac Bonneville ready for, <laughs> for the prom. You know what I'm saying? Like you know, in and, and these promposals and, and and all of the theatrics, it's, and, it's, it's,
0: it's crazy so much. Like they're so much pressure and i just just to say that oh your child should be able to cope because i went no you grew up in a completely different time
1: and i'm so glad that you i'm so glad that you say that because we think about think about what's kind of going on in society too and this like like we've also we've also done this as it relates to cyber bullying and when we see things like you know yeah, any kids, whether it's black, white or any other minority, you know, taking their life because of kind of some of the things that happen on social media when you're picked on on social okay. media or when somebody talks about you or or whatever the case might be. A lot of times we kind of go, I don't even understand why why that's a big deal to that person or or why they why they're tripping about that. Understand we live in an era now where and I mean, I, I just shoot straight from the hip. It, it ain't like. I mean, you could be recorded. You know, like we were all getting it in and doing our things sexually and and, and romantically and all that kind of stuff growing up. But you didn't have to worry about somebody recording you and posting it on Facebook Live or you know what I'm saying? Like, like back in our day, even then, this is just 2002, so this isn't that long ago. You know, uh, there there, there wasn't a situation to where like you know if you did something that that might be considered scandalous or questionable from a from a, a, a sexual ethics standpoint you didn't have to worry about it ending up on social media or on some site that where it's going to be up there forever and and you know you're going to have to explain this to your kids in 10 15 years and stuff like that and this is the world that these kids live in now you know like you know I mean like I talk about you know I was talking to a friend the other day about dropping nudes and all this kind of stuff like back in our day if you you had to take a picture you had to go take it to the film people hope that they don't hope that they don't report you and take the picture then you had to get the picture then you had to either give it to the person or you had to mail it <laughs> like it was a it was a whole process whereas now the one thing that these kids suffer from above all else is there are not a lot of barriers between between uh making poor decisions and what i mean when i say that is people who post things about their friends or their, or their enemies for that matter on social media there's no buffer where they have to you know go home and go to the computer and put it on the scanner like like there, there there's tons of buffers mm-hmm. where you where you have a chance to stop and go you know what probably ain't a good idea now it's just as simple as click a button and it's live it's already there and thousands of people can pull it off the internet you know and i don't understand how parents and, and and other people especially black folks can not understand how that can have a long-standing impact on the on the on the mental stability of of a young person and it's, it's a lot of pressure, even for adults. Right. Like,
0: we don't, it's just the whole, okay, you see someone on their vacation, or their vacation, or the hashtag blessed, got a new car, or this, and you over here like, man, these dollars ain't really added up for me like that. Like, you know, so right. that creates this whole like, and you, but the thing is, is that uh, sometimes it is an illusion. Right. It's what what we see is not true. And how do you teach a young person who this is all they know? They're impressionable. Their mind is being molded. How do you teach them that everything that you see is not in actuality the way that it is? Right.
1: Because
0: even as adults we have difficulty. Well, their vacation looked better than mine. They car looked better than mine. They whatever looks better than mine. Like there's this constant comparison that goes on because like you said everything is just like there's no buffer you pick up your phone whatever you can see and then you're even comparing yourself to people you don't even know right so what is what is that what is that doing to you mentally what is that doing you know to your self-worth and how that impacts your mind as an adult who, who should be well-rounded and should be well developed and compare and contrast that to Someone who is still growing up and learning what's what and coming into their own. That's why when I get children who are in middle school or like fifth, going to fifth grade, I spend a lot of time with them about values and about bullying because I was bullied. I didn't think it was bullying. I didn't think of it as bullying back then, but I look back and I'm like, okay, well. Was I really green like right that? Like you know, like you start, you mm-hmm. know, you start thinking that. But I, I, I spent a lot of time with these kids because I have one girl who she kind of has like this tough exterior. She is a tomboy and she plays a lot of sports, but that's like her angle of dealing with really not having the money to dress and be girly and all those other things and I kind of see it like that's her so you develop that's her coping skill and her defense mechanism is to say I'm not really into that you know so I like to spend time developing because the thing is is these young minds these young individuals that are trusted to me. And I'm not saying that they're more important to me because all of the children that I work with are black, but I'm their therapist, but they look up to me, you know, what I'm doing. They're watching me. They're looking up to me and I might be the only person because of the environment that they're growing up in and the bullying that they're subject to throughout the school day. I might be the only person that they look up to and look forward to seeing. And I may not be able to see just like the manifestation of everything that I have done, but I'm for sure going to plant those seeds and hope that one day as they mature and progress into adulthood that they're able to remember and they can kind of stop that that stigmatization of therapy and things like that and start to normalize it because they don't the people don't know why i'm there to see the kids Like they just come to see me you know and i'm definitely not gonna i I tell the little ones if you want to tell people why you're here you can but i'm not gonna tell anyone what we talk about right and same thing should i think for like i said the higher functioning people um i think sometimes again we worry about being judged we worry about maybe exposed there's like a trust level like we don't trust and especially um for individuals who may be on some form of like assistance it's hard for them to trust a therapist because they think are y'all connected are you going to tell DCF are you going to tell you know there's that worrying factor there's just a lot of mistrust between us and the system which unfortunately therapy gets lumped into the system in some scenarios unfortunately it does and that creates a level of you know, I don't I don't really want to subject myself to this because I'm unsure about it. So, those are just like main things that I would say reasons why, like, African Americans that keep us from therapy, there's a level of mistrust, there's levels of cultural competency, and I'm not trying to say that you need to go to a therapist who looks like you to understand you, because I've certainly had some that look just like me that didn't understand me, right. and I've had some that look completely different than me, who completely understood me. So, I'm not not saying that, you know, you need to seek that. I'm just saying that if it if you go and it doesn't work out and you're not comfortable, move on. Right. That doesn't mean that the whole thing is flawed. That means that you need to find someone that works for you because it is a relationship. You know, it's a therapeutic relationship. So you need to find, you know, someone that you feel comfortable working with it that you trust and that you really want
1: to build that rapport with the rapport building is on both sides it's not just the therapist it's the client as well all right well that's fair enough i mean now we've kind of covered a lot of things so before i let you go what i want to do is i want to kind of get a perspective from you because i i do have some people that i know are interested in going into the field and they don't really have a sense of direction on you know kind of Kind of where to go, what they want to do. So, can you share a little bit of kind of what your your short term and long term goals are in this in this field, and where you want to see yourself in, let's say, the next five ten years? Well,
0: my short term goal, as you kind of hit on at the beginning is to get licensed which is like kind of a medium goal because mm-hmm. it does take those 2,000 hours Right. so that is something that I want to do it's not required in the field of mental health it's just obviously a pay increase right. and also you don't need anyone else um, to sign off on your work for like insurance companies you don't have to have a supervisor you just sign off on everything on your own basically right. those credentials say you know what we trust you we don't need anyone you want to review your work just send us what you got that's essentially what those credentials say um so that's kind of like a short to medium goal long-term goal, I would like to actually be a director over a program like I work in now. I have a background of working in insurance and managed health, and even for a behavioral health vendor for an insurance company, that coupled with everything that I've learned so far from being in the field, I think... I can really make an impact and really... And, you know, I always say I want to leave Jacksonville and sometimes I still want to go, but the more and more I'm within the community, I'm like, you know what? We need people to raise the flag. We right. really do. 100%. We just can't push all these people over in one area, have these failing schools and change on the magnet schools and pretend like it's better and leave, you know... Everyone secluded in this particular area of town and make them forgotten people and hope that they have a teacher or a mentor or someone somewhere to help them get out. We can't continue to do that. So that's something that I actually want to advocate for be a director over a program and really, really advocate to make these schools and these areas better. That are, that, that's what i That's just not something I'm saying because it sounds good. When I'm riding down MLK and Main Street, walking down 28. <laughs> rip, people, that walking. rip that hood. You better rip that hood. For real. <laughs> I really mean that that's bad, that, not just because it sounds
1: good. That is real. Yeah. There you have it. We have Miss McKenzie. That's what we going to call you. So, Miss McKenzie, uh, if, if people need to get, get in contact with you um, regarding uh, if. You know, maybe you could point them in the right direction um, as it relates to assistance for their kids or even the assistance for themselves as far as mental health. Um, how could they get in contact with you or any any uh, any locations or, or contacts that you may suggest that they reach out to if they ever feel like they, they're in need of some sort of sort of mental
0: assistance? well i'm pretty good with resources because of the amount of time that i've kind of spent working in the field so if i can't help i can definitely direct so you can definitely reach out to me i'm that person who's always going to within a day or so respond i'm just not that person. so yeah ask me i got you and then you're like okay what happened um if it's not something that, you know, that I know of personally or I can help with, I can definitely find the information and refer because we are a community, you know, so we need to be able to do what we can and also kind of bridge the gap. Okay. So you can definitely reach out to me. Um... I don't know what you kind of want. Are you tagged
1: to me? So. <laughs> I mean, if you, got a, if you got an email you want to give out or anything like that, I mean, if you don't, then just tell them to we, reach out to your Facebook. We can,
0: we can do that. Okay. Um, my email is my first name, which is P-A-M-A-R-A-L-E-E-M-C-K at gmail.com. Mm. So that's where you can reach me. And like I said, I love what I do if you can't tell because I could probably talk for another hour I'm really passionate about it I plan on being in this field for the rest of my life so whatever it is that I can do to help others I'm willing to provide
1: that in information All right. Well, well there you guys have it man I, I thought that this was a really important podcast for us to do and, and I, I think that there's been some valuable information gained um, once again man if you're ever going through anything if, uh, if you're feeling down and out you know, make sure that you reach out to somebody. Make sure you make those necessary phone calls. I'm always available. Now, if you need to get in contact with me, you can hit me up on the email at Jacobs at gmail.com. You can hit up the podcast, and that's at uh, Established1984. You can just type that in on Instagram, and it'll come right up. You can go to BrandonCobyJacobs.com We will be streaming uh, moving forward You'll start to see the podcast available On BrandonCobyJacobs.com Which is back up and running um, If you have any questions, any suggestions, man Feel free to DM me You can DM me on Instagram too On my personal account At Jacobs, man I am Brandon Kobe Jacobs, And you have been listening to the A 1984 Podcast Take care